Welcome to the Phoenix Infidelity Podcast, the podcast for betrayed men by betrayed men. Here we shed light on the topic of infidelity from a first-hand experience as well as from a professional counseling perspective. If you would like more information on how to book a one-on-one counseling session, just send us an email to info at phoenixinfidelity.com. Today's conversation is all about one's support system during the storm of infidelity. We explore the topic of who one can talk to and who one should rather avoid when it comes to sharing your side of the story. We also touch on how to choose a counselor and whether one should involve the kids in these discussions. We hope you enjoy this content and if you do, please consider subscribing so we can help more guys navigate their way through infidelity trauma. So, Anfred, I'd like for us to explore the support system during the storm of infidelity. And, you know, talking about who one can trust, who do you talk to, who don't you talk to, how to find a counselor that's, that's helpful and, you know, that, that can actually guide you and help you navigate this maze of confusion. Um, you know, I, I couldn't find a lot of qualitative data on this point. I think for obvious reasons. So it's going to be more narrative and anecdotal data that we share because it is very subjective. But there are some guidelines here to make sure you don't step into a trap and make it even worse than it should be. Okay. So I'm going to start off with a question. If you were to give somebody advice on who to share this with, or who to not share this with? What would be the a good starting point? What do you think? I think that's a very good question because the one thing that we definitely have to have during the storm of infidelity is support. We need to know who we can trust and who's going to support us because we are alone. It's a storm. And so support is incredibly important. And the people that are going to be supportive can be be sometimes surprises you may think your family member members are going to be supportive and then you discover no they're not so we really have to identify what is support what what do supportive people do and i want to mention just a couple of um, characteristics of supportive people so the first thing about supportive people and these could be either friends or family is that they listen they listen to you they are not quick to give advice they're quick to listen. They say, how are you doing? Tell me what's going on. How are you feeling? So they're asking questions and they're listening. You don't want people that are going to try and fix you and fix the situation with advice. Go do this. Go do that. You should have done this. Why didn't you do this? Oh, why are you doing this now? That's that's not their responsibility. Their responsibility is to be there for you and give advice if you ask, not just offer it without you asking for advice. So unsolicited advice isn't isn't helpful. You really want friends that are, are there to listen in a non-judgmental, non-critical way. They're not necessarily critical of you or your partner who's betrayed you. That's that's what we need. We also want to have friends that will be confidential. 
it's something that is completely confidential and you can trust them. You definitely don't want people that are going to accuse you of everything that you did wrong. Supportive people are not saying, oh, but what did you do? And you must understand her perspective and she's only this. And, you know, you, you don't need that. You need people that are on your side. And also you don't want uh, people who are emotional and lose their cool and start, uh, you know, being so upset that you now you suddenly need to support them because they can't deal with the situation. So those are the kind of people that you're looking for. Those are real friends, people that are going to be supportive without judging or trying to fix or having all their brokenness come in the way of a helpful healing conversation for you. Because what you need is to heal at this time, in this awful, awful time, this difficulty that you're going through. I think that's great. If I could share my personal experience, <clears throat> it feels to me like I needed um, different kinds of friends at different kinds of times during this whole journey for me personally so i don't know if the other guys that have gone through this can relate but you know those initial stages let's say the first month or first six weeks to two months maybe i really felt like i needed a friend or two that took my side wholly and fully like stood by my side and, uh, you know, <laughs> I remember one of my friends, um, I don't know if you've ever watched the movie Along Came Polly, but uh, there's this scene where um, the, the protagonist's boss, I think he actually praises the bride for being such an amazing person. And he wishes them well. And, you know, it's, it's all about um, him <laughs> caring for their relationship. And, and then when he gets betrayed by her the first thing his boss says to him is yeah i knew she was a whore the moment i saw her um and my friend my friend used that exact line um in one conversation during that time and we all we both just burst out laughing you know um at at the ridiculous statement because he knows it's not true but um, that extreme expression that's actually uh, funny and humorous made me feel fully accepted and like backed up. Um, it felt to me like, okay, I have two guys that, that see my point in this whole thing, <clears throat> even though we're not yet exploring everything that I did wrong in the relationship. Just, they just got my back. Um, maybe that selfishness on my side but it really helped me with my healing to know that I have one or two or three friends that are just going to sit there and hear me moan and cry about the horrible things that have happened and, and not, not even think twice about taking my side wholly and fully. Yeah, I definitely want to emphasize that that is exactly what a person needs person needs someone who is completely accepting you and backing you up and supporting you with just hey I'm here for you I'm totally here for you and I see your pain it's that empathic I'm I'm supporting you kind of thing as you said you you needed someone who was wholly there for you completely there for you not divided you know yeah you know I'm there on your side but you must remember you also did 
or you know I'm there for you but you know she's also my friend and I, I'm torn now you didn't you don't you didn't need that you needed someone who's there hey I'm there for you with that that humorous kind of tongue-in-cheek statement you know what I've completely abandoned her and I always knew that she was bad news when obviously he, he didn't think that but I mean he's saying I'm there for you 100% that is that is what a person needs that's the support that you need not criticism um and, and certainly not someone who is going to have divided loyalties. There's no other way of expressing it, but it felt hurtful seeing some of the friends sitting on the fence. And it felt to me like I needed to remove myself from those social circles where I didn't have a definite, you know what, we're on Tian's side. Okay, we're on Team Tian. And I knew it wasn't that easy um we could maybe talk about what the friends go through because i realize that it's not easy for them either you know having to choose between um, two parties but you know personally i felt like i needed to um associate with the handful of friends that were on my side wholly and fully and maybe later re-engage with um, the friends that were more on the fence and obviously yeah, we'll, we'll get to the friends that take the other party side or the family members that take the other party side so it felt it almost felt like a it added to the pain it drove the dagger of betrayal further through my heart to see um, friends not objectively looking at the injustice and taking my side yeah absolutely absolutely it is like that, and it's a it's a very difficult thing when you have these people who who are your friends. You've been building relationships, and suddenly they're not there for you anymore. And that's where you kind of discover who your real friends are. And it is painful, and it does increase the pain of betrayal. You're hundred percent correct. I think we do have to have a conversation or, or talk a little bit about how to deal with it. Uh, and the best way to deal with it is just to have this attitude. It is what it is. It is what it is. You don't know what your friends are going through. And it's not your responsibility to ask them how they're coping. They should be asking you how you're coping. But they may really be struggling with all of it. You know, the relationships that they had or have with you as a couple is now suddenly shattered and they are shocked. They, don't, they can't believe it. How could this happen? They, they're also going through a trauma, not, not to the same level that you are, but it is a trauma. And now they have to ask the question, well, who, you know, who do we support and whose fault is it? And, um, you know, is the betrayed maybe to blame in some way? And they're torn. They're torn between how to deal with this. And very often when people are torn, what they do is they sit on the fence because they they don't know how to deal. They, they just don't know how to deal. They don't know how to be empathic and understanding in so many instances. And of course, they have all these other questions. Whose fault is it? And what are we going to say? And if we if we support the one, how will the other feel? And uh, what, whose friendship is the strongest? Who needs me the most? It's all just so confusing. And then in the end, people's lives are busy anyway. And so they just do nothing. They sit on the fence. It's painful, unfortunately, but... That, that is a reality and we do need to be aware of that. I want us to take one step back and I want to ask the question, should you at all talk to anyone? Um, 
in the book I share about how Ethan keeps the secret of the betrayal for you know a couple of weeks doesn't really doesn't speak to anybody first of all because he wants to protect Lisa um, which he feels admirable and and you know might eventually <laughs> cause her to s see the, the the his honorable action as something that could maybe rekindle the love didn't work spoiler alert um so it was protecting Lisa and also thinking about the consequences of speaking to people about this. Because, you know, later on, uh, Lisa could be judged and that could do damage to existing relationships. You know, I worked through a bunch of articles in preparation for this conversation and I found, I, I found like anecdotal data of this specific warning sign of being cautious and thinking about the consequence of telling specific people about the betrayal. So what would your sort of guidelines be in terms of, do you at all tell anybody? Is it, is it, is it not just something that stays between you and the unfaithful partner and the counselor? Who don't you talk to? Such a good question. I think you definitely don't want to speak to people that are going to betray your confidence. I've had clients say to me, I don't want to tell my friends because I tell them this is confidential and then they tell someone else and they say, but don't tell anybody. And then that person says, oh no, I won't tell anybody. And then they tell somebody and says, but don't tell anybody. And and so it goes on. And And the reason why you say don't tell anybody is because you don't want everybody to know you're hurting and you're embarrassed, you're humiliated, you're feeling ashamed of this betrayal. It's hurting you like crazy and you don't want the whole world to know. And so it's it's then actually sometimes best not to tell anybody, except you do need to have a support system because you have to have support because remember, your healing is a priority. We're going to talk about the role of a counselor and a therapist during this time. But you know what? You've got family and friends who love you. Hopefully, you have family and friends who love you. And if you didn't tell them, they might be really disappointed. Like your parents and definitely your siblings. They would want to support you. And so you definitely want to share with them. But you also have to make sure that your family are going to be supportive. They mustn't be toxic family members who will just criticize and judge you or go into a rant and a rave about about your partner and then if maybe there is a reconciliation then that reconciliation um, with you may happen but it could never happen with your family and that person because they're just emotionally not able to in other words your family members some of them may not be emotionally able to cope with something like this and so that makes it very complicated because maybe dad is a person to speak to but mom isn't because you know your mom's relationship with my wife will never be the same okay but then who do I speak to so it is really very challenging and you have to you have to make that call yourself you have to decide but I think the the, the best rule of thumb is to recognize that you need support you need help and your family mom and dad are, are probably your first port of call to share with them and brothers and sisters also and if the relationship between mom and dad and siblings and your partner or spouse are never the same again well 
that's unfortunately the consequence of their betrayal. Yeah, I mean, it goes without saying that it is such a mess. Um, that's that's an understatement because this hurricane that you know rips through all these relationships is something that leaves it. It's ripple effects um, that that move into eternity and it's things that cause damage and sometimes irreparable damage um, forever. So I guess our listeners need to take a step back and really think about what we're saying before they connect with specific people and share with specific people, but also knowing that it's important to share um, because that's part of the healing process. So there's no, there's no, easy way out of this thing um in the book i also talk about ethan breaking down emotionally and this added to that psychological weight it added to the weight of the betrayal the fact that he didn't speak to anybody it was i guess admirable that he wanted to keep it a secret in order to protect lisa you know the 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 unfaithful spouse but it really didn't help him to to heal. And um, it just led to an emotional breakdown at the end of the day. So I would not recommend keeping it in and keeping it away from people. And at the very least, just connect with a counselor. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to just add one or two more things about answering the question who not to talk to. You definitely don't want to get into conversations with your in-laws or with the parents of your unfaithful partner because they're going to choose her side. It's it's their daughter and they're invariably going to uh, choose her side even if they know that what she did was wrong. They're not going to be as supportive as you sh- as you deserve. You should be getting a lot more support from them but unfortunately they cannot because they're biased. And so you don't want to turn to their family or her family. You don't want to even turn to her friends. You know, you don't want to make it, you know, go to them and tell their, tell her friends just how bad she is and how awful this is. And, you know, they must stop being friends with her. Just, just leave the friends out. You're just going to create unnecessary chaos for yourself and for them. And it's, it's hard enough for everybody, including the friends. So it's best just to distance yourself from her family, from her friends, and, uh, and certainly from people who aren't able to be helpful and supportive and who will just make things worse. I can totally affirm what you just said uh, through my personal experience. And it's one of the mistakes that I made. I also mentioned that in the memoir, in the book, about sharing um, the pain of the betrayal with my ex-mother-in-law. And, you know, the cognitive bias <laughs> in, that, in that context, not being able to fully comprehend and process um, the information for what it is, falling back onto the bias and the support that they just intrinsically naturally have for their own kin, for their own child... Um, it's impossible to fight against that. The mother always chooses the son or the or the or the daughter above all else. So yeah, I would 
highly recommend staying away from making that mistake, staying away from from trying to rely on family members of the unfaithful spouse. You also need to remember that infidelity happens within a context. And, you know, your... Um, your your wife your your um, your wife your partner who's just been unfaithful to you has spoken to her mother and her parents about you before she's complained about you um, she's said she's unhappy with this that you do and that that you do and you know it's been tears sometimes and and now you want to go and get support from mother-in-law or father-in-law but they've been hearing about all the crappy things that you've been doing over the years. And they kind of thinking, man, you kind of deserve this. Of course, you don't deserve this. This is completely unacceptable behavior. But because they've they've been kind of poisoned, to use a strong word, they've been poisoned against you over the years by your own imperfections and by the own challenges of your marriage or your relationship. So that they can't, they really can't be 100% on your side and they can't give you the support that you needed. Um, and, and we just have to acknowledge this. this. This is true. Unfortunately, as we've talked before, the, the reasons for infidelity usually involve disconnection and, and unhappiness in the relationship. And that's why women very often turn to someone else for support. So before she does that, she's complained about you a whole lot. And, and so now for you to seek support, you're not going to get it. Um, again, I'm not saying that her actions are acceptable. What she did is wrong and you should be getting support. But unfortunately, you're not going to get that from her and certainly not from her friends either because she's been complaining to her friends about you for a while as well. Yeah, no, it's something that I learned the hard way. And that's also a reason that I decided at the end, once I said what I felt I needed to say to the, the in-laws, I decided to break all ties because... I just, for my own healing, um, I couldn't stay in a relationship with the people and the family members that took her side. And it was just a, a decision that I needed to make to to break free from the injustice, the shadow of injustice that was hanging over my head. Um, but I mean, each person would confront this differently and you know, for the couples that are thinking of moving forward and working through this and trying to reconcile after the betrayal, it's obviously not an option <laughs> to completely cut off and, and cut all ties um, from family members that at the end of the day take this, the, the, the unfaithful spouse's side. But that was my personal... Um, yeah, that was my personal experience and my personal decision at the end of the day. You want to add to that? Yes, let me just add that you you made a comment about should there be reconciliation. Once there is reconciliation, I definitely hope that uh, the in-laws will be 100% there for the betrayed partner or the betrayed spouse. Um, and hopefully there'll be good healing conversations whereby mom and dad-in-law will say things like, you know, we're so sorry this happened to you and it was really wrong and um, I, I'm really hurting for you. We hope that that will happen because that does need to happen for you to know that you're being supported by them as well. Yeah, I mean, just ending off this specific point during our conversation, that is really what I 
hoped for. You know, what I was hoping to hear is, you know what? What happened to you is unfair. And there's no justification for what our daughter did. But we still have to love her. Or we still love her. And that is a fact of life. And, you know, just those words would have done the would have made the world of difference in terms of my healing process. But it's very unlikely that you're going to hear those words. Because, like I said, the cognitive dissonance is so strong in that regard. Um, the data doesn't get processed. The, 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 the wrongful deeds done are not accepted um, by the parents of the unfaithful spouse. They don't want to know that she did this. So I wouldn't bet on getting that support and hearing those words. And it's another, just another part of the journey, you know, another part of the warrior's journey that one has to deal with and walk, walk through. Another layer to the, th this bias towards the, uh, towards taking the side of the unfaithful spouse is quite interesting because during that time, I watched another video of this Lisa Ahrens who's on YouTube talking about infidelity and her experience. And what she mentions is that in some cases, you know, friends and family are going to judge you, <laughs> the betrayed spouse, the one who got cheated on. Um, they're going to judge you just, just for, the re for that reason, um, which makes no sense. But <clears throat> what she says is they do that because deep down they want to believe that this can't happen to them. So, you know, looking at me, for example, th saying things like, well, I mean, what do you think is going to happen if you don't make enough money? Um, or if you're not masculine enough, obviously a woman is going to cheat on you. So people start, you know, saying things or thinking things like that because in their minds they feel like, they are masculine enough or, you know, financially equipped to be free from the probability of this happening to them ever. Have you ever come across something like that? Have you ever thought about something like that? Because that's something that I experienced, but it sort of makes made sense to me when Lisa Aaron said that. What do you think? That kind of thing wouldn't find its way into my counseling room because I wouldn't end up knowing exactly why a friend, in inverted commas, would be making comments like that, and nor would the betrayed partner who's talking to me wouldn't know either why a friend, what they'd be thinking, because they certainly wouldn't be saying it. But it certainly makes sense in the context of people's brokenness. We're, we're all broken, and we all have fears. We all have very real fears, and everybody... Um, at some point might have the fear of betrayal. And if, a, if, if your close friend has just been betrayed and you think, oh my goodness, I hope this never happens to me, then it makes sense that you want to find reasons to somehow blame your friend for their betrayal because you're afraid it might happen to you. And so, yeah, I think it, it, it does kind of make sense that that could happen. Um, just again, sharing personal experience, 
Later on, I felt that I could reconnect with friends that were sitting on the fence and re-engage. Um, however, I don't think you fully get back the, um, the relationship that stood before the infidelity. I think there's always a scar left um, behind because of that initial lack of, of support. I think what you're what you're saying is that you may end up losing some friends and and certainly family if you didn't uh, share things with your friends and family or some of them and and they feel upset or or they weren't there for you as you said then you may certainly lose some friends and you never get those those friendships back they never become as strong again as they used to be but you also discover that they weren't that strong after all. If they had been stronger, you would have had more support. So it's not like you're really losing anything. Maybe you're now really discovering what the true nature of those friendships were. But it is still hard. It's difficult. And it's it just adds to the difficulty of the situation. Another thing that I talk about in the book is this event um, where Lisa gets isolated and ostracized by some of the friends that see her as the enemy. And, you know, Ethan not jumping at the chance to, you know, take advantage of that opportunity to hurt her, but again, supporting her emotionally, which at the end of the day helped zero in cultivating attraction. But, I mean, what would you say to guys that are thinking of bad-mouthing their ex-spouses in order to maybe gain an advantage or, uh, you know, also adding to the ostracizing um, or the isolating of her outside of the group, because that's quite painful. You could use that as a weapon if, if you want. Do you think that could work if one would choose to take that path? Uh, I think we touched a little bit on this in terms of taking revenge in one of our previous sessions. And we said it's quite normal that in your anger, you want to take revenge, you want to badmouth your partner who's betrayed you. And we, we kind of said, you know, just while we understand it, you, you don't really want to end up hurting others more in the process or hurting your partner, even though they were unfaithful. You don't want to hurt them more and unnecessarily because they're also going through a hard time especially if they are recognizing that they've hurt you and they actually want to rebuild the relationship, then you don't want to go around hurting them more by bad-mouthing them and, and building kind of your side and your team against them. That's not something that will be helpful in the long term for you or them. Yeah, I have to say I feel proud of myself for not having taken the bait. But there is a mention in the book that, you know, if Ethan knew what was lying on the horizon, he would have probably let her burn that evening when she <clears throat> when she got isolated by the group. And um, instead of running after her and, you know, trying to console her. But uh, yeah, I do think at the end of the day, it's not, it's taking the high road, I think is a better bet, just in terms of, um, you know, self-respect and, and, and there's, there's no real benefit to hurting because you're hurt you know hurt people hurt people that i've never i've never seen that as a as a good strategy to resolve uh, any any form of conflict so yeah i would just encourage guys to 
rather walk away from from the opportunity of uh, using the betrayal against the um, the unfaithful partner. I think we can do better than that. Um, another question that I have, Anfred, is do we or don't we involve the kids? I personally don't have children, so I don't have experience with this. And I'm reading conflicting views on this topic. Some people say you should involve the children or at least be honest with them instead of hiding the fact that mommy or daddy was unfaithful. Um, others say keep it, you know, Keep it away from the kids because it might be a, a psychological weight on them that's unnecessary and could bring maybe other complications to this this whole confusing mess. What do you think? What do you say? In my practice, I've seen how the relationship between the children and the betraying spouse has been affected quite tremendously and very adversely. And so, therefore, if the couple is going to pursue reconciliation and rebuilding the relationship, my recommendation is that you don't tell the children until they're adults. And here we're saying post-21, because as teenagers, um, kids are very susceptible, and as children, kids are very susceptible to the pain that each parent uh, could be causing the other. And when you disclose to a child that you've betrayed your, your spouse or your partner, that is a psychological injury that really does a lot of harm to the children. And now the, the child sometimes has to have this conflict, has to choose, you know, do I still love my mom or dad who, who's betrayed um, my mom? Or do what, what do I do now? And if they haven't got the skills and the ability to deal with that emotional stress, it just makes it so very hard. So it's a completely unnecessary complication to involve the children. Obviously, if there's betrayal and the relationship is not reconciled, then you need to communicate to the children that there's a reason why mom and dad are no longer living together. And here you have to be age appropriate. You can't disclose to your five-year-old uh, the details of betrayal. Even uh, even for teenagers, sure, it's such a painful thing because those kids have to live with that. Then they have to make a choice. Who do I want to live with? And that's going to affect the relationship. And if mom has betrayed dad, but mom has been the caregiver and and you know, reason for one of the reasons why mom betrayed dad is because dad wasn't emotionally available. Um, where is that child now going to get the emotional support? Um, because, you know, mom's always been there, but now mom is the baddie. So my recommendation would be keep as, as much information away from the children as possible until they're ready. The thing is, you do have to disclose this to your children at some point because you don't want them living with this secret. You don't want to be living with the secret for their whole life. And then, you know, at age 40, they find out, oh, my dad betrayed me, you know, as mom is, or as dad is on his deathbed. Um, 
they discover that mom has betrayed dad and they never knew. So you want to be able to communicate that to them at some point because they do need to know. But my suggestion is only once they're 21 and really can handle it emotionally. They're really independent. They're adults. They can deal with the emotional pain of that. Yeah, and I think it also goes without saying that it would be unethical to use the kids against the unfaithful spouse. And uh, in that sense, punishing the unfaithful spouse even more for what he or she has done by using the children against them and then forcing the kids to choose, you know, the the good cop in this in this whole context. So I'm I'm hoping the listeners take the higher ground in in terms of that. Absolutely. And you know, when mom has betrayed dad, um, it's so hard for kids because normally kids are more attached to mom simply because she's more the nurturer and now to be used as a pawn and for the betrayed spouse, for the husband to use the kids to kind of turn them against mom because she's betrayed her is really a damage that you do to the children and you do to to your wife, which is really not a helpful thing to do especially for the children just to finish off Anfred looking at another aspect of our support system how does one choose a counsellor we did get counselling from someone who was recommended to us by friends who apparently did wonders for them but if anything did more damage to our relationship during the infidelity so it's a really tricky thing i think to find a good counselor that that guides you and helps you navigate the storm of infidelity what would you say what are the the guidelines here so when it comes to choosing a counselor there's certainly a couple of do's and don'ts there the first thing is that you you're gonna maybe ask friends if they know that's if you've spoken to friends or family and ask them if they've got some recommendations but you definitely don't want to go to a counselor that knows either of you you want to go to a neutral person preferably an outsider a professional who's involved in this also not someone in the church i'm not saying this because i'm against the church i'm i'm saying this because unfortunately pastors aren't trained to deal effectively in this kind of situation and also you must remember pastors know you and they know one of you better than they know the other so there's going to be some bias and so that's why i don't recommend that you go to a pastor i recommend that you go to a neutral person that nobody knows not a friend of a friend or a friend of a family member definitely not that it must be a stranger Find out from this counsellor what experience they have. How long have they been involved in this area of counselling? And get some references if they have some references. It's value. It's, it's okay to ask them those questions. Also make sure that you are able to see them at a time which is convenient for you. A lot of people work during the day and so they can only see a counsellor in the evenings. If you have to now always take off work every time you see your counsellor, it's going to create unnecessary stress for you. It might put more stress on the relationship because it's always, you know, trying to get off work 
and that's difficult for two people. It's, it's hard enough for one, but to try and do it regularly for two people, that's quite tricky. So make sure that it's convenient for you. You obviously have to consider cost. Um, and the reason why I'm saying cost is because it's going to cost you money and you want to see a counselor every week for the first couple of months for the first two to three months every week it's either you with the counselor by yourself or your spouse with the counselor or you as a couple and and that obviously costs money but you do need to spend that time together you also want to find a counselor that doesn't just let you talk and talk and talk Obviously, talking is important. You do want to talk, you want to share your heart, and you want a counselor who's empathic, but you want them to, to give you advice, to give you guidance. You want them to give you homework. And at some point, they're going to need to challenge you as well because you don't want this to happen again, and so you need to learn from your mistakes that you've made, that your spouse has made, and you need a, a counselor who's willing to challenge you and ask the hard questions. So you actually have to almost put the counselor through a 20 questions and ask them, do you give homework? Do you give guidance? Will you challenge us on our part to play uh, and how we can grow? And, and will you look at us at our past as well? In fact, that's, a, that's something I haven't mentioned. Your, your counselor needs to also help you deal with your past. Because we all have brokenness from childhood or from previous experiences and I mean and previous relationships. And your counselor needs to help you deal with those so that you don't end up getting yourself into a similar situation five years later because you never dealt with the problems that your childhood traumas and childhood adverse experiences brought into the relationship, which contributed to the infidelity, either to the 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 person who was betrayed the betraying spouse or the betrayed spouse we want to prevent that from happening in the future yeah i think those are great guidelines um i remember finding you online Antred, and i just i think from day one i loved your approach because it was very objective um i mean you you didn't show an overabundance of empathy which is not necessarily something that's useful in all contexts, I appreciated your forward approach, and I don't, I don't see you as working just through the textbook um, as you counsel people. What I found that you you listen, and you 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 guide. Well, at least for me, you guided me according to my specific situation. What I found with the other counselor is that it was very textbook based. It was very um you know uh, almost like a pretentious type of empathy that didn't really help um in the book i talk about this comical scene where um you know lisa and ethan are looking at each other um without any words and just knowing that they're thinking exactly the same thing it's like when is this going to end um and we're we're wasting money so and I, i'm not saying that it's it, this counselor was a bad counselor. I just think for our context and for what we needed at that time, um, it did more damage and um, it cost money. So I guess it's a little bit of trial and error. I think I, I was lucky to find you on the second try. And um, this is also something that we want to express to our listeners is that 
we we have this option of counseling available you know in terms of Anfra's experience you have years of clinical experience and also i'd love to you know be there for guys that want to talk to somebody that has gone through this um in terms of credentials do you think it's a variable do you think it's necessary to look at somebody's uh, credentials and say well if this guy doesn't have a phd i'm not even gonna reach out uh, what do you think about that? I think it's a good question. I wanted to come back quickly to something that you mentioned, which I really liked, and that is that you may not find the right person the first time. And that's okay. You don't have to feel bad. You don't have to stick with that counselor. Um, and that is usually what happens. People people do decide, I'm not going to go to that counselor again. And please don't feel guilty. Don't feel guilty if, if it's not a fit. You know, there are different courses for different horses. And... Uh, Tian's example, Tian's experience just shows that that is what happens. So please don't feel guilty if you're not clicking with the first counselor that you find or even the second. Sometimes you might have to go through a couple of counselors. I've had clients come to me and say they've been through so many psychologists and so many counselors and at last they're happy that they found someone who can really help them. And that's just unfortunately the way it is out there. And your, your question was about the credentials. So... <laughs> It's a very tricky one. Obviously, having a PhD, you know, says a lot and, and people think, oh, wow, the guy's a PhD. But that may not be the answer. The question you should be asking is, how much life experience has this counselor got? How, how strong is this counselor's marriage? What has this counselor been through? Maybe the counselor has been divorced. Okay, well, what were the circumstances of the divorce? Was there betrayal? Well, if there was, then he's learned or she's learned a lot from that betrayal. And that's probably the person that's going to give you the best advice, someone who's actually been there. And so I would encourage you not to get hung up on the letters behind the counselor's name, but rather how long they've been in relationships, what those relationships have looked like, what their own experience is, and they will probably then be able to give you better advice because of their experience. I think that's excellent. I think let's um, end the conversation on that note. At the, at the end of the episode, you'll have the details to get into contact with us if you do um, want to reach out and engage with us in terms of uh, counseling, either in person or, or online. Thanks so much, Onfred. Always great speaking to you. I'll see you in the next one. Thank you. All the best. Goodbye. If you would like more information on how to book a one-on-one -on -one counseling session, just send us an email to info at phoenixinfidelity.com.